Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. So tonight, I want to talk about something, uh, this was kind of an interesting thing. <clears throat> I, uh, I heard a preacher, and I, I kind of mentioned this. Well, I mentioned this to our, our school kids, because um, I did chapel, so the teenagers kind of already heard about this, but um, I heard a preacher say a couple weeks ago that he was, he was doing a teen event, <clears throat> and in the teen event, he was talking about 1 John chapter 5, so if you have your Bible... Why don't you go to 1 John chapter 5? And uh, this uh, Baptist pastor made it very clear that 1 John chapter 5, in his words, 1 John chapter 5 was a litmus test of someone's salvation. And the litmus test basically was this. It's kind of two-folded, but basically, if you love other Christians, if you, if you love God, you know, and if you're a Christian, you're going to keep his commandments because God's children love God. God's children love other Christians. God's children obey God. That's what God's children do. God, God's children overcome their addictions. And, 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 and they just sit on this. And they go through these first four or five verses and they just lay into it real heavy. This is the test of whether or not you're a Christian. And I'll tell you, it really kind of comes to be a control thing because it's very powerful control. Why is it a very powerful control? Because you get a bunch of teenagers sitting there and you're saying, oh, you don't love the person sitting next to you? You don't love your teacher? You don't love your pastor? You don't love your Christian school? Yeah, well, you're, you're not a Christian. Christians, Christians love these things. I heard a very well-known pastor in California, a very large Baptist church, and I heard it with my own two ears. He said this, quote, if you're a teenager and you don't want to go to a Christian school, you're probably not saved. Christian teenagers want to go to a Christian school. <laughs> I was sitting there going, when I was a Christian teenager, I didn't want to go to any school. I don't care. <laughs> so what does that make me? I don't know, an atheist? I don't know what I was. But, but you say that to a room full of teenagers, and they're all sitting there going, Mom, Dad, I want to go to the Christian school. That helps with your enrollment. It does. It helps keep those kids in your school. Well, I'm going to drop out of the school. No, you're not, because if you want to drop out of the school, you must not be saved to stay in the school. I know that sounds goofy, but there's a lot of good people that use this because, I, I, I don't know why, I guess they don't read this passage. I don't, they take it out of context. They just want to be in control of it or something. Um, so, so the question in tonight, which we're going to talk about, is First John chapter 5 a litmus test of my salvation? Is it a proof that, that, this is, that I'm saved? And, and I want us to remember this too, that I want you to remember this. Um, you have, if you're a Christian tonight, okay, and I, from looking out in the crowd, I believe everyone here is, is a Christian, I, from what I know, um, you have the same Holy Spirit, okay, that I have in me, or that any Christian has, that can help you read the Bible, okay? You don't need to be someone special to understand this book, all right? Every Christian can understand this book. Sure, there's some places that need study, there's some parts of it that I don't understand still, some parts I have to dig in. But, but you've got the Holy Spirit within you, and that same Holy Spirit, you know, that, that, that helps 
Charles Stanley, you write really great messages. The same Holy Spirit that you have when you do your devotions in the morning, okay? It's not like someone has a different Holy Spirit or the smarter Holy Spirit, okay? You've got the same Holy Spirit. And so, so when you're reading a passage like this, don't, don't, don't say, well, you know, so-and-so said this. I read a book, and the book said this. Time out. Read the Bible. And what does the Bible say, Okay? And, and let God's Spirit talk to you. You study, you look at it, you, you understand it, and you dig in it. So, so is there a litmus test? Is 1 John chapter 5, is this a litmus test for being a Christian? Or, or here's the question mark, or is it the litmus test of our fellowship as a Christian? Okay. Now, do we all know what a litmus test is? Because that, that term is used a lot. Uh, litmus test, I think, of, um, I think of back in the days of like chemistry, um, I think of, so we have a hot tub at our house, and we have like those little test strips, you know what I'm talking about, like a pool test strip, and you, you dip it in there, you know, and it changes colors, you know what I'm talking about, and that's too much pH or too much acidity or whatever it is, you know, and I don't, you know, I still don't understand it, but just, okay, it's this way, I need to add this chemical, that's all I know, I just, whatever, whichever way it's going, I add that kind of chemical, <laughs> I don't really know what it's doing, but uh, it's a test, it's a test strip, so the litmus test is like, is like a proof strip or a, a proof test of, of is this what's really happening? Happening. So, so is this passage that we're looking at? Is it is it open for opinion? Is it is it a proof? Yes or no? Am I saved? Yes or no? Am I going to heaven and hell? Yes or no? What is it? So, uh, if you got your Bible, I'm going to read First John chapter five, um, and First uh, John chapter five, and I'm going to read from one down to five. So let me read it. I'll, I'll just do this. I'll read it. And then we'll take it apart verse by verse. Okay, does that sound good? We'll dissect it and define it together because I want you to get it. So, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's look at the passage, let's go back to verse 1, and let's just look at it, all right? Verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. So let's look at the very first phrase. Uh, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Now let's just pause for a second. You heard me say this before. Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? My first name is Daniel. My last name is Rehoff. It's not, you know, Mr. Christ. It's not, it's not Jesus Christ, okay? That's what he, that's what he is, okay? Jesus Christ the Messiah. Christ is Messiah, okay? So it's not his last name. Sometimes we think that's his first name, his last name. As a kid, I used to think that. No, it's not his first name, last name. It's what he is. He, he, he's the Messiah. So, so look at the verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. So just look right there. Let's just look at it. What are the qualifications of someone born of God? How do you become, church, I'm asking you the question, how do you become born of God? What does it say right there in that verse? What, what, what's, the, what's the thing? What's the key thing you have to do is what? Believe. Okay. 
Does everyone understand that part of it? I don't think we need to get into that anymore. We understand that. We hear the gospel here every Sunday morning. But it just says, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. That's a statement. That's, that's there. It's a fact. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what's the Messiah? He's the one that paid our sin debt on the cross of Calvary. You are a child of God. You're born of God. Okay? So that's pretty much established. That's pretty basic. Uh, you're, you're born of God if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Now keep going. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So it's saying here that if you love the dad, okay, everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love the dad, you love the kids. So, you know, I could just, I don't know, I could look around this room. Roy's here in the front. Hi, Roy. How are you tonight? Good. Okay. I, I'm making sure you're with me still. Um, I could say that I love Roy, right, and that Roy's my good friend, and I do love Roy. He's my good friend, a very good friend of mine. Uh, Roy has, has some kids, and they're wonderful. Um, if I love Roy, right, if I truly love Roy, I'd, I really would have to say I'd have to love his kids. It, it would be weird to say, you know, Roy, I love you, but I hate your kids. It, it, well, how can you love me? I mean, I love my kids. How can you, you know, I'm saying if you really love me, how can you not love my kids, okay? Um, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say, though, but look at the verse. It doesn't say that if I love God's children or not determines if I'm a child of God. Look back at the beginning of the verse. What determines you're a child of God? If you what? If you believe. It doesn't say if you don't love God's children, you're not a child of God. It doesn't say that. I mean, real simple. If you love God, you really ought to love his children. Okay, that's just a simple paraphrase of it. Just, if you love God, you ought to love his children. Verse 2. Continue to keep the thought going here. By this, we know that we love the children of God. How? How do we? By this, we know we love. Well, how, how do we know we love the children of God? When we love God. And keep his commandments. So according to that verse, according to that verse, by this we know that we love God. How do I know if I love God? Well, when we love God and keep his commandments. I prove to you I love God by keeping his commandments. Time out. Does this verse say, by this we know that we're children of God, that we keep his commandments? Does it say that? It does not say that. It does not say the proof of you being a child of God is that you obey his commandments. It doesn't say that. It says if you love God, you, you keep his commandments. If you love him, okay? Uh, if, if you love God, you obey him, you love his children. But remember, this isn't about salvation. This passage is about fellowship with my father, fellowship with God. It, it, so far, we're on the second verse, this is not a test of anyone's salvation, it's a test of our fellowship. It's a litmus test of our love, of our, of our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go there because I'll get on a rabbit trail. <laughs> I will not get off it. On your, on your own this week, go to 1 John, same book, 1 John chapter 1 and 2. You on your own, not now, don't do it right now. Read chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want you to notice something when you read it this week. Notice how many times the word fellowship is mentioned. Notice how when it even talks, and it's saying, it's saying, little children, I'm writing this to you. Why am I writing this to you? You know, that your joy may be full, that there's fellowship with the Father. 
It didn't say, you know, I, I write this letter to you because I need you to get saved or this is how you become a Christian. It made the statement. He's talking to Christians at the very beginning, and he's being very clear in 1 John chapter 1 and 2. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about your intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. He's made the clear statement, everybody with me, he made the clear statement that, yeah, you're a child of God if you believe. Now I'm talking about your fellowship. This passage is not a litmus test for your salvation. It's a litmus test for your fellowship. Okay? How is your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Continue on that same thought. Stay with me. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Okay, so what is the love of God? How do I love God? That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. So how do I love God? Look at the verse. How do I love God? I keep His commandments. It does not say, how do I become a child of God? It doesn't say that. It says, how do I love God? I keep His commandments. You know, it doesn't say if you keep his commandments, you become a child of God. It doesn't say that. It said in verse 1, it said in verse 1, you become a child of God by belief. But now here again, we're, we're talking about fellowship. So, so you want to show me that you love God? Okay, then I ought to see that you're obeying him. Don't, don't preach to me that you love God if you're not obeying him. Okay? And that's kind of what John's saying here in this thing. He's like, you know, don't say, I love God, but you don't obey him. You may be a Christian, but don't tell me like you have like a really sweet, beautiful relationship with your Heavenly Father if you're just not obeying Him. You know, let me, let me pick on my son Cole. I love, I love, I tell you, I love, I love the fact that both my boys are away in college because I could talk about them and it doesn't cost me any money. This pastor was going broke paying those kids. Every time I talk, you know, talk about it, getting them $20. It used to be 5 but then with inflation, you know, they upped it. So um, I could talk about them and it doesn't cost me any money. But when Cole's growing up in our house, guys, listen. He didn't always smile when I asked him to do something, okay? He didn't, you know, hey, Cole, go make your bed. Well, sure, Daddy. I just love you, and I'll, I'll obey your commandments and make my bed. It didn't happen. Maybe it happened once, but, you know, he didn't always obey me. Uh, sometimes he may have been mad at me. Uh, sometimes he may have been frustrated with me. Um, there was, I'll tell you this. There was a time, Amy will remember this, there was a time that, that, you know, the kids' siblings kind of do this, when, when Cole, I, I think, really couldn't stand Bryce. I mean, he was older brother, and he was, he was just ticked off with his older brother. Now, let me say this. Bryce and Cole grew up in a Christian home. Uh, we did homeschool them for a little while. We had them Christian school. We homeschooled them because we didn't have a, a good school to go to, and now we have our Christian school. Uh, but growing up in a Christian school, Cole didn't learn a lot of bad words. Growing up in our home, he didn't learn bad words. So, uh, he didn't even know the word idiot or moron. You know, he didn't know, like, you stupid jerk. You know, he didn't know those words. So one time, Bryce was really getting on his nerves. I don't know if he was picking on him or pulling his hair. Or, you know, he was really being a, a bratty brother, okay? He just was being a brat to his younger brother. And Cole, you know, being a Christian kid, you know, trying to think, what, what do I say? You know, how do I really be mean? You know how kids are? Well, when I was a kid, you know, I'd have called my brother you know, all kinds of words, right, that I won't repeat in this room. So Cole doesn't know what to say to his brother. He just, he can just tell he's thinking, his brain, I can think of, he says, Bryce, you're an evolutionist, you know, and that's the, <laughs> and he walked away. That was like the meanest thing he could think of. You're an evolutionist, you know. You know, and Bryce was like, is it bad to be an evolutionist? You know, what's an evolutionist? You know, he probably just went to a creation museum or something like that, but the worst thing Cole could think of was to call his brother an evolutionist. Well, okay. At that moment, at that moment, 
Bryce wasn't showing, or Cole wasn't showing love for his older brother, Bryce. Let me ask you a question. The fact that Cole was not showing love to his brother, did that change me and Cole's physical relationship? I mean, just the fact that he's my son, did that change? He's still my son. Our fellowship changed, okay? <laughs> you are in trouble, <laughs> right? Go to your room. We're going to have a talk about this. The fellowship was kind of rough there, but he's still my son. Absolutely, positively. No one questioned it. You know, I didn't come to church next Sunday. Oh, I heard Cole's not part of your family anymore. You know, I heard he's not part of, you know, he changed his last name. I heard he's not part of the family. You know, he never really was part of the family because obviously he doesn't love your other child, right? No. The, the issue at stake was not whether or not Cole was a Rehoff. The issue at stake was Cole's fellowship with the rest of the Rehoffs, right? That was a problem. It was a fellowship issue. It, it, was, it was just, you know, his relationship uh, in the sense of a fellowship and, and how it was working. If you wanted to prove, if you wanted to prove that Cole is my son, if you had to prove it, you could do what? You could take some blood and you could prove it by the blood, right? The DNA would prove it. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. I think really we get to heaven ultimately, you know, if not that he has to, but if Jesus had to prove that we were a child of his, he'd prove it by the blood. I died on the cross for this person. You know, I, I knew that person. I died on the cross for that person. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. God's not going to say, well, did you love all of, you know, my other children? No. No, I did. There's times I didn't. No. There's times I had a bad attitude, absolutely. But I'm your child because what? Because I believe that Christ died on the cross and paid my sin, because of what he did. His shed blood paid my debt, not because I loved your other children, right? So keep going on the verse. We've got to keep going. Um, look at the rest of that verse. Go back to that verse. Look at the rest. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a big thing that I hear at, at youth conferences. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Right here, ready? Listen. And his commandments are not grievous. So, teenagers, do you not want to go to church this Sunday? If it's hard for you to go to church this Sunday, you're not a Christian. Because Christians don't have a hard time going to church because that verse says obeying God is not hard. Do you, you read your Bible this week? You didn't read your Bible this week. Is it hard for you to read your Bible? If it's hard for you to read your Bible, you're probably not a Christian. That verse right there says that Christians read their Bible and it's not hard. It's not grievous to obey God. So if you're not a Christian, okay, that's why you're struggling. See, see how controlling that is? Is that what the verse says, though? I mean, is that, what it, is that what it says? No, it's not saying that. If you have good fellowship with God, it's a lot easier to serve Him. It's not hard to serve Him. When my son Cole was in fellowship with me, he obeyed me better. Son, you need to go clean your room. Okay, Dad, sure, I'll go do it. Yeah, okay. It wasn't grievous. When, when was it not grievous? When he showed his love for me, right? When, when our fellowship was good. It had nothing to do with whether or not Cole was my son or not. It had everything to do with our daily walk, our daily fellowship together. This verse doesn't say, doesn't say if, you're, if, you're, if it's hard to serve God, you're probably not a child of God. Nowhere does it say that. You could look at it this way. I guess if you want to read it backwards. His commandments are grievous when you don't have love for God. Yeah, I don't want to serve you, Lord. Yeah, then, okay, going to church is a drag. I get it, sure. That's called being a backslidden Christian. Your relationship with your Heavenly Father isn't being questioned here. Your love, your love for the Heavenly Father is what's being questioned here, okay? It's a litmus test of your fellowship. 
Uh, Psalms chapter 119, verse 97. 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Yeah, it's my meditation all the day when, when my fellowship's right. Yeah, I love thy law. Psalms 119, 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. When you have good daily walk with your Heavenly Father, when your fellowship is sweet with your Heavenly Father, when you're spending time in prayer, when you're spending time in the Word, going to church is easier. It just is easier. It's easier to read your Bible when you've been reading your Bible. It's easier to pray when you've been praying. It's easier to hand out a track when you've been reading your Bible. It just is. It just is. We need help on the building project this Saturday. It's a whole lot easier for me to say yes to come here and volunteer and serve on a Saturday when my daily walk is sweeter with my Heavenly Father. It's when I become selfish and become prideful and become about me and you, tiny. Going to church is a drag. It's grievous. Yeah, when's the last time you read your Bible? I don't know, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, it's grievous. I, I, I can tell you that right now. I, there's no surprise. You're right. Go read your Bible. Spend a couple times praying this week. And then you'll feel like coming to help out on a Saturday, okay? So yeah, it's not a qualification of whether or not you're a child of God, right? The qualification we saw in verse 1 was belief. And then go down to verse 4. Verse 4 and this, one, this one's interesting. It's kind of a, I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a switch of gears, but it's interesting. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Oh, <laughs> boy, have I heard this one. Young people, you'll overcome that addiction you have to rock and roll if you are a child of God. Because this verse right here says you'll overcome your addictions. Say people won't smoke. Say people don't swear. Say people don't have bad thoughts about girls. You teenagers, you're thinking about that girl sitting next to you? You're probably not a Christian. Christians don't do that. You're watching the wrong stuff on the internet? What? Christians wouldn't do that. You're not saved. Turn off that rock and roll music. <laughs> Guys, does this verse say you'll overcome your addictions? Does it say that? Does the verse say you'll overcome your sin? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say. What does it say? For whatever is born of God, so someone who's believed in God, they're a Christian, overcomes the what? Say it out with me. Overcomes the what? The world. You overcome the world. And, and how does that happen? And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What's the victory? How do I overcome the world? Even our... Does it say your works overcome the world? No. Our faith. Our faith. If you were to follow the word, and we won't do it for the sake of time, if you were to follow the word overcoming, look through your New Testament, follow, follow through it, it talks a lot about it. What's an overcomer? Someone, an overcomer, simply put, is a Christian. They've overcome death. They've overcome hell. They've overcome this world. A Christian is an overcomer in the, in the New Testament context, okay? Christians will be over in heaven. Why? Because they'll be overcomer. Not because they worked for it. What's the victory? Even our faith. Only believers are overcomers of the world. This is based on our position in Christ. We've overcome death and hell. How? Through faith in Christ as our Savior. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, who? God, which gives what? Gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have overcome the, the world. Our faith is what's responsible for being an overcomer, not our works. 
not something we do. Interesting, he says our faith. Church, just think about this just for a moment. Faith is what? Faith is, faith is not what I see, right? It's walking by, it's right? It's, okay, that's faith, right? No one in this room knows how much faith I have or don't have because you can't see it. I don't know how much faith you have, if that's the way to say it, because I can't see it, right? I mean, I can't. But you can't be a fruit inspector because it's your faith, right? You can't inspect that. It's your faith. You don't know if someone's got faith in Christ or you can't see it. Why didn't he say here in this verse? I mean, why didn't he just say it, you know? Uh, go back to that verse that we're in, First John. You know, he that overcomes the world, and he overcomes the world by showing love, by loving people, by overcoming their addiction. He doesn't say it's a work. He says the victory is what? Through our faith, right? Our faith in Christ, okay? Can we just stop for a second and just talk? Has this verse at all been a proof of our salvation? Not at all. It's been a litmus test of, of our fellowship. Do you love God? Okay, good. If you love God, then you know what? You probably love his children, and, and, and you probably want to you know, serve him too. That's what it's a litmus test. It's not a litmus test of whether or not he believed or not. First John chapter 5, verse 5, and, and I, I kind of jumped ahead because here's our answer too. Who is he that overcomes the world? Well, the person that overcomes the world, here's the answer. But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who it is. That's who the overcomer is, someone who's believed. It doesn't say someone who's worked. It doesn't say someone who's done hard things. It doesn't say someone who's stopped their addiction. I don't know where in the world they get overcoming your addiction. But boy, that's a powerful one, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's kind of a sad thing too. Um, the, there's a lot of addiction recovery programs in our area. A lot of them are not faith-based. You know, AA and stuff, that's fine. Um, you know, I, I'm not against it. I mean, go. I mean, I, I'm, they have something for the world, whatever. But as Christians, we have a choice. What I'm sad about is this. Here's what I'm sad about. I'm sad that, so Falls, um, uh, was, is it Faith Baptist in Oak Creek and us? Maybe there's more, but that's the only three churches I know around here that have a faith-based addiction recovery program. Uh, there's probably more. I'm probably wrong. We're going next Sunday, I'm telling you right now, um, a church in Racine, an no, Kenosha, uh, an African-American church with uh, Pastor Curtis McMillan, uh, African-American pastor, invited me to speak. They're starting a Simple Steps program, a faith-based addiction program, and they want us to help launch it again. So I don't know, that's what, our 15th, 15th probably chapter across the Midwest that this church has helped start. So we're, I mean, how can we not, how can we not help them? Of course we have to help them, absolutely. I'm, I'm privileged to be part of it. I'm privileged to go to an African-American church all day long, every day, right? That's a great thing. You know why a lot of Baptist churches, most Baptist churches, Bible church around here, won't have an addiction recovery program? Because of this passage. A real Christian doesn't sin, doesn't have an addiction. Why do we need a Friday night addictions program? Real Christians don't struggle with addictions. That's their, that's their reason for not helping people that struggle with addictions. I, I don't know. I'm... I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the room probably, but I, I, I don't see anywhere in here that it says Christians, you know, won't struggle with addictive behaviors. I, I just don't see it, okay? I just, I just don't see it. Um, I, I don't know why people would, would even say that, but it's sad. I wish every, I, really, I wish every single Baptist church and Bible church around here had a Friday night program. I think it'd be awesome. It'd be the greatest thing in the whole world. It, it's what Milwaukee needs, okay? Um, but the, I hear, well, real Christians don't struggle. But real Christians do struggle. Proof of that, have you ever read the story of Peter? 
you, you need to read the story of Peter, okay? Peter was like an idiot, okay? <laughs> um, he denied Christ to his face three times. And then the next time we see Peter, he's got a bad attitude. He quits the ministry, gets all of his other buddies. They quit serving Jesus full-time ministry. They go back to the world. Jesus, remember that? Calls him out on the seashore, calls him out, has breakfast with him. And what's the first thing Jesus says to him? Peter, you're not saved because you denied me and you struggle with your addiction. You need to become a Christian. He doesn't do it. Jesus never questioned Peter's salvation. Peter, okay, wake up, let's go. Go feed my sheep. Go get to work. Let's go. We got work to do. He never questioned his salvation. Say people still sin, guys. Is it good? No. Is it something to brag about? No. Is it a reality? Yes. Is anybody here free from addiction? Free from, I mean, have, have, have any, are any of you perfect? You know, no, no one's perfect. We all struggle with something. It may not be a needle in the arm, but it's something, okay? It's something. So, um, Romans 8, 37, nay, and all these things, we are more than conquerors. How are we conquerors? Through him that loved us. But I tell you what, skip on down to, to verse 13. First John chapter 5, go down to verse 13. Uh, same chapter, chapter 5, but just skip down to verse 13. It's kind of interesting. It kind of ties the knot for that chapter. These things have I written unto you. So now think. This is verse 13. We were at verse 5. I, I'm telling you. I, this is why I wrote these things to you guys. You wanna, I, I wrote these things to who? To you that believe. I'm writing this to Christians. You that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. I, I'm writing this to who? To Christians, not to become a Christian. It didn't say, these things have I written unto you heathens that were in Rome. You know, trust in the Lord. <laughs> I've written this to those that believe. I've written this to Christians. Christians, remember, go back to chapter 1 and 2. Fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. I want you to have the joy of the Lord. I want you to understand that intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. That, that you may know that, okay? You believed in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you understand that. Nowhere in here does it say your works prove your salvation. It says your belief is a qualification for being saved. Nowhere does it say here it's a test of your salvation. It's a test of your fellowship. Great. You love God. You preach all day. You tell me how much you love Jesus. Great. And if you love Jesus, you'd be serving him a little bit more now, wouldn't you? <laughs> right? Should a Christian love God? Absolutely. Should a Christian serve God? Absolutely. Does a Christian serve God all the time? No. I know um, I know well, right now, I know two Christians that are in jail, uh, two Christians that I, am, I, I email and I text all the time. Uh, the one, I, I've told you about his story before, he, uh, uh, I, I married him, and they were very involved in the church, and uh, Christian, and, you know, baptized, and just everything, just great Christian life, and stopped going to church, stopped reading his Bible, stopped praying, you know, got introduced to this, started getting himself in trouble. And one night found himself at a bar and tried to kill someone with a knife. So now he's doing, what, like 20 years in jail. Ugh. One night, one drink, 20 years. That's a really big price to pay for something really stupid. I mean, that's, wow. Uh, but I, I never questioned this guy's salvation. Not, not even, why? Because I know he believed, right? I, I married him. I went over. We, we, we had a very clear talk before, you know, I, when they were dating. Went over the, and absolutely, positively, no questions, ifs, ands, or buts about it, that he's saved. Did he make some really stupid choices? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never questioned his salvation at all. That, that wasn't on the table. We weren't discussing his salvation. You made some really dumb decisions. Yeah. Yeah. 
still saved, okay? First John chapter 5 is a litmus test of our fellowship. It's a, it's a test of, of, of how is your fellowship with your Heavenly Father. It is not a test of your salvation. Don't, don't be fooled by that. Don't be deceived by it. Just read the Bible for what it says. But so-and-so, you know, Dr. So-and-so, Pastor So-and-so said this in his book. Who cares? You got eyes. You got a brain. Read your Bible. What's it say? It doesn't say it's a test of your salvation. It doesn't, okay? You have to do an awful lot of biblical gymnastics to make that a test of your salvation, like a lot of gymnastics. Um, I just read the Bible for what it says, okay? We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.